Hello, welcome everyone to Conversations from the C-Suite, the Girlfriend's Guide to Being a CEO. We are excited that we are about to begin this next episode, and we have indeed a great conversation in store for you. But you know how we like to start it out. We want to invoke the power of three because this is a great conversation and we don't want to be talking to ourselves. So make sure that you invite at least three people and share it out to at least three groups because we are going to be talking about the importance of self-love and it is a message. It is a conversation that everybody needs to hear. So I'm going to take a few moments to share it out myself and then we will get started with this episode's awesome conversation. So see you in a few. And by the way, don't forget, make sure you have your favorite beverage. I've got red wine tonight. So I'm being, you know, I'm being all fancy with my red wine. So anyway, we will be back in a little bit to begin tonight's episode. Well, good evening and welcome to this episode of Conversations from the C-Suite, the Girlfriend's Guide to Being a CEO. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie D. Barnes, and it is my pleasure to be with you in the C-Suite because you know here in the C-Suite, we want women to be the CEOs of their lives, to develop the strategies that they need to create the life they desire and deserve because every woman should be the CEO of her life. She needs to have a seat at the table because we know when women are at the table, they create seats for other women. So the conversations from the C-suite is a powerful, power-packed hour that provides women a platform to discuss the issues that impact their business and their life because we know that life doesn't end when we leave the office. We want you to elevate your mindset so that you will be compelled to take action because CEOs don't just wait on great things to happen, they make great things happen. And you know, the C-suite is where in any company, all of the decisions are made and we want you to be in the C-suite of your life because whether you are the CEO of a company or you report to the CEO in a company, you are always the CEO of you. Now, what does a CEO do? We already talked about a CEO makes things happen. That's why the middle word is executive, execute, get things done. So while you're here in the C-suite, we want you to feel something, learn something, but most of all, baby, you've got to do something. Yes, you've got to make those CEO moves, create the circle of influence, elevate and empower yourself so that you can take yourself to the next level. And most of all, operationalize what you learn so that you can optimize your outcome. So I hope that you are ready 
for a great conversation. Because regardless of where you are on your journey, you may be a CEO on the rise. You're just getting started with this CEO move business. You may be a CEO on the move. You've been making CEO moves for a while, but you're ready to take it to the next level. And then you may be the CEO. But here's the thing they have to remember. Regardless of how high you make it in your C-suite, a CEO can always take it to the next level because in order to be number one, you've got to make sure that number two doesn't catch up with you, right? So I hope that you are ready to have a great conversation here in the C-suite. We are so excited to continue our series on relationships. That's right. The first C in CEO moves, creating your circle of influence, your relationships, because you will not be successful in business or in life without great, healthy relationships. So we've talked about a lot of elements of relationships, but we want to use the wisdom of Whitney Houston or George Benson, depending on which generation you're in, the lesson that the greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. Because whether you are trying to have a healthy relationship with someone you love or a healthy relationship with someone you're doing business with, if you don't have a healthy relationship with you and you don't have that self-love, you're not going to have the meaningful experience and meaningful relationship that you deserve. So we want to make sure that you are really loving on you. And I am so excited about our guests for tonight. I have been waiting for this conversation all day. I can't tell y'all how excited I am. I met Katrina McGee, the awesome CEO that is about to join us about two years ago, literally. We met in Atlanta while we were appearing together on a panel. And she gave me a copy of her book, Loving on You, which we're going to love on me because we want you to love on you. But the book's called Loving on Me. <laughs> but she gave me a copy of this book two years ago. And you know how life is. Sometimes you get something. And I had every intention to read the book then. But life happened. I moved and the book got put in a stack of books that I have. Like I have about 20 or 30 books, literally, that I have had for like two or three years and I need to get through. I try to read every day. Most days I read every day and I have committed that I will not buy a new book until I read through that 20 or 30 stack that's in my bedroom. Well, I was picking out the book that I needed to read for this week as I just finished up one yesterday. And lo and behold, here was this book. And I'm like, oh my goodness. First of all, I need to read the book so that we can talk about it. But most of all, this was the book I needed to read today. So I'm so excited that we're going to talk about this and excited to bring to the C-suite none other than Katrina McGee. So I'm going to just tell you a little bit about this powerhouse CEO that's about to join us. She has worked for over two decades, and she's still young, though, but she's seasoned, to be a champion for women. She served at the executive level for two of the world's largest nonprofit organizations, the American Heart Association, which I think is appropriate. By the way, y'all got my love t-shirt on. She worked for the American Heart Association and the Susan, Susan G. Coleman for The Cure. She has traveled around the globe advocating and inspiring women in more than 12 countries on three continents. In 2012, she embarked on a new adventure, channeling her passion for women's empowerment into launching Loving On Me a global movement encouraging women from every walk of life to love themselves and each other more. As founder and chief inspiration officer, Katrina has invited thousands to join her on this journey, forming tribes of women committed to spreading love, sharing inspiration and shifting the atmosphere in their local communities. And I tell you, y'all are truly going to be blessed. So I'm going to go ahead and bring her to the stage because we need to 
love on each other. Hello and welcome, Katrina. Welcome to the C-suite. <laughs> hey, hey, thanks for having me. It's good to see you. Yes, it is so good to see you again. And uh, we were chatting a little bit before the show and it, we just can't believe that it's been over two years now that we've never met. <laughs> yeah, so we, we've had the chance to share the stage with each other. And I see here in Atlanta, in Las Vegas. And let's see, were you in Miami? Did you? I can't remember. No. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> but it has been good to reconnect. And I am so excited to have you on the show tonight. So we always start with the who, the what, and the why. I've shared a little bit about you, shared a little bit through your bio, but we want to know who is the real Katrina McGee? What is it that you really do? And why do you make CEO moves? Ooh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> I am, you know, at the end of the day, I am an empowered woman who loves to empower other women. It, that is um, my passion in life right now. I'm a mom. I'm like many of your listeners. I'm a busy woman who gets things done. I wear a lot of hats. Yeah. I look cute in all my hats. Yes. <laughs> it's hard to keep my life balanced. Mm -hmm. And um, I love teaching other women how to do that. I, um, I feel like that is, you know, in this season of my life, I've been so blessed to have an extraordinary career. Um, but now as the CEO of my own small business, I really am passionate about preparing and positioning other leaders, this next generation who is coming up and doing amazing things. I want to empower them with what they need to succeed. So I have a great time doing it, speaking and teaching and having fun along the journey. Yes. Yes. So, you know, it, it's awesome in, in a lot of the things that you've done. You know, you've literally been in the C-suite. You've literally been making those CEO moves in a company, in, in more than one company. You now have a consulting business where as part of that, you are helping other women in the C-suite and people beyond that. And you're in the C-suite of your life. Yes. And you're able to make the CEO moves to do the things that really matter and inspire you. And of course, you know, we, we've talked uh, off and on, you know, over the past two years and I've gotten a chance to know you. But I tell you, after reading the book, I was like, wow, you know, I really got a chance to know about some things that we hadn't, um, you know, just hadn't come up in conversation. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I recognize a lot of similarities in our past in terms of things mm -hmm. that we've done, but just also some really great pivotal points where. Mm -hmm. You know, as, as I like to, to say, you know, CEOs are always faced with decision points mm -hmm. you know, where they have to make a decision to do X or Y, X, Y or Z or whatever. But that's basically one of the major responsibilities and powers of a CEO is to make those decisions. And, you know, in the Absolutely. book, you talk about a crisis, you know, that your company that you were working for then uh, was facing and how that was physically impacting you to the point you were having anxiety attacks. Yeah. And I was like, this is so typical of, of powerful CEOs. You know, the, the physician said to you, you know, you need to take time off and your, and your first concern was, well, you know, I've got to take care of these other people and I can't. Yeah. And, and that's something that a lot of us do in that we put others before us mm -hmm. and, we, we take a little bit away from, from what we truly need. So, you know, I know you, you share in the book, of course, you know, your experiences in doing it and finally making that decision. But, you know, just help us help ourselves in you know, being better stewards and learning to love ourselves. And when we're faced with those crises, when we're faced with the different decisions to choose us. Yes. Yeah, you have to choose yourself first. I mean, you know, the interesting thing about what I was facing in the book is that it was external circumstances mm -hmm. that were um, 
it causing me to have internal issues. You know, mm -hmm. I literally thought I was having a heart attack and a stroke at the same time, yeah. not because of what was happening, but because I was trying to control everybody while it happened. And yeah. that's what I find with so many powerful women in is that we, when faced with challenges, we want to fix everything because we are smart and we are strong and we can do it and not being able to fix it becomes the fundamental flaw that just mm -hmm. kind of implodes in us. And so, you know, what I had to learn is that the only person I can truly control is me. Oh, I can God. certainly shift the atmosphere mm -hmm. and put processes in place to try to make things run smoothly and lead people. But this notion that you can control other people, how they will react, the things that they will say is just ridiculous. I mean, we right. intuitively know it, but when we're faced yeah. with something, we don't act like we know it. Right. And, you know, that's why I'm passionate now about women being in the driver's seat of their life. You know, my my whole my whole platform is about empowered living because mm -hmm. I have I have experienced the other side where when you're right. trying to control everything else, you lose control of the okay. one thing you can control, which is you. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I was sharing today or uh, sharing with you earlier before the broadcast began, you know, how I literally read your entire book today. <laughs> <laughs> It was just by providence again that today was the day I actually had the time. Mm -hmm. It worked out, and I said, "Well, you know, I'm gonna read a little bit so I can, you know, have enough to to know about, uh, you know, for the interview." But I was like, "I can't put this down. I need to finish it." And I still have to write the love letter. I mm -hmm. couldn't bring myself to do that earlier, and um, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm going to do it. And it's interesting, <laughs> you know. That's something. It's so funny. You know, I'm I'm a coach. I've been doing this for what eight years now, and I and one of the things that I started out when I used to teach when I started out teaching this leadership course years ago that that put me on this journey was getting people to write love letters to themselves, mm -hmm. and it's something I teach. It's something you know you shared in the book, mm -hmm. but I've not done it for myself in so long, and I was like, wow, I really <laughs> have to do that. Wow. So, but. But, you know, in reading throughout the book, there were so many powerful nuggets mm -hmm. that I felt were so integral to this notion of self-love, taking care of ourselves, learning to love ourselves and what that truly means for us mm -hmm. as it relates to empowering us to make those critical decisions for ourselves. And, you know, I, I love how, uh, you know, you were talking about control and this just hit me all in the chest uh, where you said just because you feel needed doesn't really doesn't mean that they really need you because like you said you know we we get this Im impression or this this um belief that people need us and if we don't do it it's just not gonna get done and you know that works to our detriment so you yeah know, yeah, but it's just kind of, you know, how, how that revelation came to you. So I was like, it, it just punched me all in my chest. <laughs> you know, it is painful, but it is the truth. And it, there are so many of us that are in codependent relationships and mm -hmm. we don't even realize it. Right. You know, because we want to control everything, we want to help take care of you. And at first mm -hmm. people appreciate that, but then it actually hampers them from, from yeah. understanding what they can contribute, what they can do on their own. So mm -hmm. eventually the person you're trying to help resents you. And then mm -hmm. you get mad because they don't appreciate it and they resent it. And so right. it's a circular thing where you feel like if you don't do it, nobody else will show up. And yeah. they have now become accustomed to you doing it, but they're mad about you doing it. And right. it's a toxic relationship for everybody. Right. And it's only when you step back and you yeah. allow people to have often the same experience that helps shape you to have it for themselves. Because yeah. most of us realize the strength we have is comes from our struggles. And mm -hmm. so we struggled up, but then we want to protect other people from experiencing the same thing, forgetting yeah. that that's who made us who we are. Right. And so you know, sometimes we just have to take ourselves out of the equation. Because yeah. what I have figured out is when you step back, people nine times out of 10 figure it out. Yeah, they step up because yeah. you know, I've, I've had this conversation with several people, you know, from in different situations, you know, where I, I basically have had to say, well, because, you know, they're complaining, well, they can't do it for themselves. They can't do it. They can't do it. I was like, well, they can't do it because you're doing it. And they have no <laughs> incentive. They have no incentive whatsoever to no. do it for themselves because they know you're going to do it. And believe me, 
you stop doing it, they'll figure it out, you yep. know? <laughs> or they won't and they will adjust. Right. I mean, it's really, you know, at the end of the day, I believe in being compassionate and helping other people, but all of our strengths out of balance become an area mm -hmm. of challenge. Mm -hmm. So the other side of compassion is codependency. And yeah. the line is when you are trying to not help a person, but to control them. Right. You know, right. I think we have to be very conscious, particularly people who are empathetic and mm -hmm. want to help other people not mm -hmm. to step across that line because it's just not healthy for you and them. And by the way, that's at home and at work. Yes. You know, you yes. find yourself in a micromanaging situation. You need to sit. There's never a reason to micromanage. Mm -hmm. That's some crazy codependent stuff that you need to right. stop. Because mm -hmm. I, I know that was one of the biggest revelations I had early on in my leadership journey, because when I got my first executive position, I wasn't a bit more a leader than the man on the moon. You know, I just had the position. I didn't I didn't really truly understand what that meant. And I was, you know, I was kind of a bad boss because in my idea was a name Miranda from uh, the, uh, the Devil. The Devil that was my idea of leadership. I'm ashamed to say it. But yeah, that's just, you know, that's what it was. But. I, I just remember one of the biggest revelations I had is that I could not grow if I did not help my people to grow, my team to grow. And right. I had to mm -hmm. teach them how to fish or otherwise I was going to be feeding them. And, and I'd never get to do a lot of the things that I wanted to do. But when I trusted them enough, trusted myself enough to allow them to, to do things that, you know, I had always done myself. First of yeah. all, a lot of it they did a lot better than I ever would have done, and it 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 helped them to grow, and it and it released me uh, in in ways that allowed me to grow. And so, yeah, I think that's something that you know we have to love ourselves enough mm -hmm. to let other people fend for themselves, <laughs> and realize that in doing so, that's not. That's not being mean. That's not being a poor leader, but that's actually being a good leader, being a it good is. influencer because you're helping people help themselves and, you know, you're giving them, you know, that ability to grow. And, 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 and again, it does so many things for you. <laughs> yes, it does. I, I talk about that a lot in my leadership class too, because what I find is that people are uncomfortable with delegation. Um, right. You don't understand that part of that process is not only giving it to them, but teaching along the way, allowing failure to be data so that they can be better and mm -hmm. not expecting them to do it your way, but to do it the right way, which may right. look different than how you did it, but that's okay. Because um, that's the only way that you truly experience the joy of being in your new position where you are as a leader instead of the person that was doing the work. Right, right. So, I mean, you know, it, it, it's so important, again, to, to, to recognize that, you know, it, it ain't about you, number one. And, you know, you're really not all you think you are. And I don't say that in a pejorative manner. But what I mean is the world is not going to stop because you don't do it. And in yeah. fact, the world will evolve even better when you stop doing a lot of the crazy things that you are. And, um, you know, one of the things, uh, again, there were so many points in your book that just struck you. Just You just were all in my business. Like, all <laughs> Did in you do it all in here? Oh, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, you know. So, but, uh, you talked about, you know, once you finally let go, you, you, you yeah. decided you were going to transition from being in leadership at that company and you made that transition, but then you kind of held on to it a little bit and you went back and you talked about, I think when y'all went to, was it South Africa? Um, it was uh, Ghana. Ghana, Ghana, sorry. Yeah. Went to Ghana for a breast cancer walk. And, you know, you described that you felt like an interloper in your past. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is such a, um, such a, a powerful expression of how when you're making that transition. And like I said, it struck a chord in me because I, I had dinner with some friends, I don't know, about two or three months ago now. And these were friends from when I first started my law career. I mean, we've known each other now for over 20 years. And, you know, that's one, that's an old part of my life. I've got all these different buckets of this old parts of my life. And I said, you know, I don't feel like I really belong anywhere because I, uh -huh. I, no I no longer fit in my past. 
but I hadn't really quite found my my complete groove for where I am. And and like when you describe it, this feeling of being an interloper, mm-hmm. I was like you know, I think a lot of us, mm-hmm. you know, when we are bridging from one experience to our next, I think we will we hold ourselves back a lot because it's kind of like we got one hand yeah. <laughs> where we were and what's comfortable, what was comfortable, what we knew. And and one foot, you know, going forward to where we are. So, you know, how do we get over this this feeling of kind of being an interloper in our own lives? Yeah, it's really, you know, it's really tough, particularly when you're in transition because you're not in a particular place yet. Mm-hmm. You haven't created a new comfort zone. And that's what it's really about. You've mm-hmm. left the old comfort zone where everything you understood it, you had a place, yeah. you had significance, you had value. And mm-hmm. so this notion of free falling, trying to figure it out and let life um unfold in front of you instead of trying to force things forward, Mm -hmm. it means that you have to rest on the unknown. And truly, truly, that was the position I was in. And in some cases, I still kind of feel like that at times, Mm -hmm. because when you're an entrepreneur, things, you know, um, it is definitely a faith walk. And so things are continuing to evolve over time. What I have practiced now, what I've learned to do is practice presence, to be where I am and mind the opportunities that are in front of me right now and not to try to get too focused on the future that I miss out in what's right here and not to spend too much time looking at the past, wishing that I was there because there's so much right here in front of you, even when you can't quite figure out the full picture, right. you know, still have something usually that you know you can do. So I was I was asking myself, what can I do right now? What's my can do? Like I know what I see in the future, but what can I do today with what I have? And that kind of releases me from the angst of trying to figure out like the next 20 steps. Cause I just don't we have to remember in particular when you go from having a CEO and working inside of a company where they establish your priorities mm-hmm. to be the CEO of your own company, that's a whole different ball game right. because you have to sit. I have learned the hardest person to manage is myself. Like okay. I have some form of, you know, uh, ADD or something that keeps me from bringing all my brain cells to one place. Right. Um, but I have learned to manage me and to set priorities for the day so mm-hmm. that I can continue to move forward or I intentionally sit still and listen for what's next. Yes. And that that's a perfect segue into the to the next thought uh, that, again, was just so poignant in reading. And that is, you know, you have to embrace the stillness mm-hmm. and surrender to the process. And, and you talked about this in the context of being productive. And you mentioned a time, you know, where you I think you and your cousin. Mm-hmm. together she would always ask you well were you productive today and and kind of with a tone of girl you ain't done that today you're in the same <laughs> spot you look you got the same pair when i left but you know i think a lot of times women especially high achievers don't appreciate the productivity in stillness yeah oh absolutely not yeah you know we 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 equate productivity with action or with movement when you know a lot of momentum is built in stillness is a very powerful place you know because you talk about it you know in the context of being you know one of the guiding principles guiding scriptures i mean it has just been so powerful for me especially in the last two years is be still and know that i am god Mm -hmm. and you know i remember the first time i was at a conference here in atlanta it's probably about two years ago or maybe three but I was here at a conference in Atlanta and uh, there was a gentleman speaking and he was just talking about how meditation was biblical. And I'm like, meditation is biblical. And, you know, just never thought about it. He said, yeah, God said it. Be still and know that I'm God. And I was like, oh, wow. But, you know, uh, you know, uh, it is so important for us to embrace the power in stillness. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, most of us, our whole lives have gotten our value and self-worth from not what, from what we do and not who we are. And so that's why this concept of not doing anything is so challenging for us. Mm -hmm. We don't understand that um, it is in the thinking and the listening and the being that we are most powerful. And so for those of us who have always been doing to be still for even a nanosecond means that we're unproductive, that we're not contributing any value that we don't have worth. And when my cousin would come home, you know, I got where she was coming from because she would see me running around like a lunatic all the time. Sun up, yeah. sun down. I had stuff to do. I was always traveling. So when she comes home and I'm in the same place on the swing in my backyard, she'd be like, cousin, are you productive today? Yeah. Like, okay. Yes, I am. I got dressed. That was a yeah. good day. You know? <laughs> are you a productivity police? Stop it. Yeah. Um, But it made me realize what I look like from the outside and how, you know, there it was so impressive. This life I had, even though I was running myself ragged, Mm -hmm. I wasn't taking care of myself. So in those moments when I was productive, it's it's really where this new aspect of my life was born, because for the first time I stepped back and said, first of all, God, what do you really want me to be doing? Mm -hmm. And really think about what I'm actually good at. What are the things that I love to do? And that's, that has shaped the last six years of my life. Yeah. Cause you know, it's like I say, I, 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 again, don't believe anything happens by chance and it is not by chance that tonight is the, is the date that this, particular conversation was scheduled and I ran across your book today Mm -hmm. because over the past couple of weeks, I have really been focusing on getting clear Mm -hmm. on my next step in. And I've been trying to embrace the stillness because I'm in a lull in terms of projects and things like that. I had a project to end and I don't, and it's not starting up again for, for a while. So, you know, I'm used to doing something, Mm -hmm. right. And I'm not doing anything. And so that that really was discombobulating for the first couple of days. But I'm also (laughs) in a very powerful place of being able to decide what I want to do next. Right. Yeah. And so one of the things that, you know, I was just all focused on, well, I don't know what I want to do next. I'm not clear. I'm I'm seeking clarity. I'm I'm seeking clarity. I kept, you know, and I said, you know, that was my prayer. God, give me clarity. And I, you know, I was listening to this um, seminar, something that on YouTube, and one of the most powerful things that came across was when you know what you don't want, you know what you do want. Mm-hmm. Know what you don't want, you know what you do want. And then the conversation was that the woman was focusing on. I'm not clear on. Um, I'm, I'm not clear on what I need to do next. And so the conversation focused from, well, what are you clear on? Start Mm -hmm. there. The reason you can't get clarity is because you're focused on what you're not clear on. But when you focus on what you are clear on in that moment of stillness, when you just take that time to focus on, well, I am clear on this. And uh, then, you know, you really get to this point of clarity. And so that's one of the things that, you know, powerful exercise I just did for myself, which was, to say, all right, well, what am I clear on? I know I don't want this. I know I don't want that. I know, you know, I kind of went through that. And then that helped me to shift to, all right, now, now I'm working with something. So that stillness truly is very powerful Mm -hmm. and that, you know, it it really gets you to, uh, it's a, a, it's a place of um, like a a bow and arrow, you know, you pull back Mm -hmm. forward. Yeah. And I think it, you know, it goes back to what can you do? If you can't um, accurately describe what you want, just start answering the questions that you do have the answer to. Here's what I know I don't like. Here's what I like. Mm -hmm. I've done this before. My whole life has been focused on here. I want to build here. I do not ever want to do this again. There is is information that you do have. And I'm a big believer in staying in a space of can do. Because Mm -hmm. shift from looking at the problem to the possibilities, it Mm -hmm. unlocks this amazing um, power that you have inside you to create the vision that, you know, the state you seek to create. So yeah. I, I just, I, I love it. I love focusing on can do. Yes. And, and, you know, part of, of loving yourself is truly what you focus on. Cause I believe you, what you focus on is what you see. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I know that earlier in this season, 
you know, I was focused on what I couldn't do, what hadn't happened and really kind of being this interloper, you know, looking back on the past. So this is what I used to do and defining my present by my past rather than embracing my now and allowing it to shape my future. And, you know, it's so important for us to focus on that can do it instead of instead of saying I can't do this is to truly ask the question, well, how can I? What can I work with? What you know? What I got to work with? Yeah. You, know? you mentioned something else that you know has really shaped this last oh goodness two years of my life, which is how you speak to yourself. You know, we can, we are our own best cheerleader or worst critic. Each mm-hmm. day we decide who's going to speak the loudest. And I think when you learn to speak positive, what you can do, what you do now, do know what you have. It is so powerful in your life. I mean, just recently, I've been working on my online academy and I, my son and I have been working together and I just kept saying to myself, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to do next. And I found myself stuck and it finally hit me a couple of days ago. I'm not talking about anymore what I don't have, don't know, or can't control. I'm going to focus on what I can do. But again, it's like this. Every time you move forward in life or go to higher ground, life again presents you with a challenge that will have you questioning your self-worth, have you you know, concerned about what you can't do. And you always got to turn it around and redirect your thoughts and words. Right, right. And that uh, reminds me of you know something you talked about where you said, you know, you can't let the fear of the unknown rob you of your future. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it kind of goes back to this whole control thing because, you know, yes. we want to control things. And I know for, for myself, it, that's a big struggle I'm having. I'm used to, you know, I have I have always been a planner. So I have yeah. always had my whole life planned out. It was <laughs> five year increments and in five years. I was gonna, I mean, plan everything. And to yeah. say that the last two years of my life have not gone as planned is quite <laughs> understand understatement. But the thing that I've embraced is that things have gone exactly as they should. Mm-hmm. And just because it's not following some really, quite honestly, rigid plan that I set out for myself, you know, I didn't expect, you know, to, to relocate three times <laughs> in, wow. in the past uh, three years. I didn't ex- expect to, I didn't expect my marriage to end. I didn't mm-hmm. expect you know, my career trajectory to go as it has, but, you know, things have happened exactly as they should. You know, that was a big shift that I had to make was to, instead of looking at what hadn't worked out, mm-hmm. to really think about, well, gosh, what has gone good? And when I started writing, the, I mean, the, the, there's a power, you talk about journaling yeah, as, as an important part of, of this process. And I'll tell you, when you put things in writing, Oh my gosh, it is so powerful. It's like it makes them real. And I know I had to do that where I just literally wrote down, well, what has gone right in the past yeah. two years? You know, it's kind of like the or past three years. It was kind of the time frame I was reflecting on. And when I began to write and see, goodness gracious, I'm complaining about this not happening. But look at all these great things. We yeah. you know that even though you know that that um endeavor <laughs> that how we ended up meeting did not go exactly as planned. <laughs> I mean, it was truly a wonderful experience. We got to connect. I did make some. Exactly. You know? And so it's all about reframing, yeah. not being Pollyanna, but truly right. reframing instead of instead of focusing on what all went wrong and didn't go right. What did go right? You know, what, yeah. what have what have you learned and what positive, you know, can you focus on? Yeah, I, I totally believe that, you know, first of all, I. I all of our plans make me chuckle now. I tell people, don't fall so in love with your plan that it impedes your progress. Oh, that's really powerful. <laughs> you know, we only have a, a vision that goes so far, like in this minute, because I have no idea what's going to happen in the next five minutes. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we have to live life with a, a, um, a spirit of flexibility and abundance, mm-hmm. and knowing oh. that we plan um, but then we adjust based on the circumstances that come our way. So I try not to fall too in love with my plan, but it's hard. You know, I have to remind myself that my timeline is not the timeline and I'm always right on time. And if I remember that, that I'm always right on time, then it can calm me down when I'm like 
spiraling and about to lose my mind because things are not on Katrina's timeline. Yeah. <laughs> often are not right, um, right. <laughs> yeah it is that's why i always tell people you have to be able to speak to yourself encourage yourself because when you learn some of the principles that i put in the book you can figure out when you're being triggered and then de-escalate yourself right because you know um i want to just back up for just a second and talk about time and then get back to this this uh the importance of knowing yourself to know when you're getting ready to take yourself you know oh, yeah. just way down down the wrong road but i know when i was working on my dissertation you know again i had a timeline and when, <laughs> when i was supposed to be finished and the dissertation approval process was just dragging on some of it external and some of it was just because of the process yeah. and i never will forget the day that my dissertation chair said to me if we had been sitting across from each other i think i would have wanted to like pimp slap him or something <laughs> But it was so wise. It was so wise. But he just said, well, you know, Stephanie, it takes the time it takes. Yeah. Thanks, I know. You just want to choke the life out of somebody, right? <laughs> yeah, that's easy for you to say. But, you know, I was just all offended and disgusted when he told me. But the thing that the wisdom that that has that just resonated in my life. And I, I say it to myself. I say it to others over and over again is life takes the time it takes and we can't get so married to our timelines that you know we don't allow things to progress as they should yeah. and as they are going to and uh, it's so important to not rob ourselves of joy because right. we're on some truly artificial timeline that at the end of the day is is insignificant and just being open to the possibilities and open to life and then kind of getting back to that point that um, that you just made about knowing yourself mm -hmm. um, because you can't know who you don't love. Right. You know that we think about that uh, all the time when we um, look at the context of loving someone else, working with someone else. Well, you got to know who you're working with in order to know what their triggers are. But we need to do that for ourselves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you get that? I call it self-awareness that, you know, there are lots of different yeah. ways to characterize it. But, you know, what are some of the things that you've done or you've seen others do that that really helps them to, you know, be honest with themselves about what they need to be honest about? Yeah, I call it self-awareness, too. I tell people self-awareness is the first step to success. Mm -hmm. And when you understand who you really are and know that you're enough, it is a powerful mm -hmm. and liberating Mm -hmm. um, um, enlightenment. You know, for me, I think the things that have helped me the most understand myself is, but one of them I love, and it is free online. It's called the Smalley test. Have you ever taken this? Say it again. What's, so what's it again? The Smalley test. It's oh. the Smalley personality test. Okay. And the reason I love this one, I mean, I've taken Myers-Briggs and DISC and all those kind of things. And what I find is any of them will work if you use them. But most of us take the test and then we don't really understand what the test means. Uh-huh. But with the Smalley test, it's really designed to tell you how you are most likely to react inside of relationships. And this one is, I'm telling you, I love it. It is simple and it is easy. And I use it in all of my leadership training because it helps leaders understand their innate traits mm -hmm. and helps them identify other personalities on their teams and how they're likely to respond. Now, interestingly, he didn't do it for... Um, corporations. He did it for marriages and families. Oh, uh -huh. so families could understand the personalities that are that are in the home. But it works wonderfully well. Like I'm a lion and I tell mm -hmm. people, I don't want to know how the clock works. I want to know what time it is. And yeah. I try to tell them, you know, come to me with an executive summary because yeah. the details, you know, like yeah. beavers love details. That don't work for me. I usually don't have the time for you to go through every single detail summarize yeah. give me the salient points and we'll come to a decision but i have to know that about myself so yeah. that when i'm working with other personality types i can exercise patience and mm -hmm. if you don't know that about yourself if you don't oh. know how you're likely to respond you make a lot of simple mistakes yeah you a lot of feelings and and you don't get the highest and best out of other people right because i know the i remember i was in a leadership program you know, you know, across the country, they have like, you know, regional leadership programs. Mm -hmm. And um, I did this uh, maybe a year or so after I started 
in this community and uh, have been an executive at that point, probably for about two years. Yeah, about two years. And I took the DISC test, uh-huh. personality test. And I tell you that that saved my career. I mean, it was so <laughs> enlightening to me because I've never done a personality anything. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was one coworker that got on my last nerve. I mean, we just, we were like all in water. Everybody else loved him. I couldn't stand him. <laughs> but I, I, my personality is a D, the a dominant. And he was a, a, oh, which one is it? The I, which is the, which one is the real social in, in that? Is it the, is it the I? I, don't I can't remember it. But, you know, I'm I'm very uh, get her done. I'm, you know, I'm an implementer, you know, I, I, we, we're going to get it done. We're going to work through. I don't want to talk to you. We can talk later, but right now we need to get it done, right? Yeah. But he was a social guy. He wanted to talk. He wanted to have a conversation. I'm like, just send me the memo, dude. You yeah. know? But that was enlightening to know myself mm-hmm. so that I could be a better team member. Because if I could not appreciate in my team members their strengths and weaknesses right. and just how they work, we weren't going to have good relationships. And it mm-hmm. helped me. And that was a business setting that helped me in my personal life, you know, yeah. also just kind of thinking about, you know, the different people that I dealt with on a day-to-day basis, you know, what kind of, of um, you know, what makes them tick and then how do I get in sync or realize where we ain't ever get in sync and, and, yeah. and move on from that. But, yeah. you know, it's important to, uh, to do that, to, to know yourself because you can't right. love who you don't know and you can't nurture where you don't understand, you know, what you need. Yeah. And you certainly can't accept it and Mm -hmm. offer that same grace to other people. And I think that's, you know, the big thing for me is knowing who I really am and accepting it. I I tell people authenticity is knowing who you really are and accepting it and showing up that way every day. But if you don't really understand who you are, that we have strengths and areas of challenge that both are Mm -hmm. okay. And that, can still succeed regardless of what are your strengths and areas of challenge, as long as you're in the driver's seat. You right. talk about CEO moves, you you have to know when to draw yourself back, mm-hmm. when you say, you know what, I need time out. But <laughs> if you don't know yourself and know that you're escalating to the red zone and how likely you are to respond, um, yeah. you end up uh, making a lot of bad moves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, that's a, a great segue into like another gut punch. I mean, when I read this, I'm like, oh, she just hit me all in my stomach, just all in my stomach. But you said it was it was one of the quotes, you know, the vision for our life, the one we were destined for before we were born emerges in direct proportion to our maturity to handle it. And I was like, oh, yeah. And and that is so true. And and it's kind of, you know, ties into this being authentic, knowing yourself, knowing who you are and who you're not. And, you know, a lot of times we have to be very honest with ourselves. I just, you know, put myself out there. You know, I have to be very honest with myself that, well, you know, the reason that you hadn't gotten it is probably because you trifling in this area. You know, you you really are you really you you're not you being trifling with what you got right now. How are you going to ask for this great thing that you want. And it's, and it's so important for us again, to be honest with ourselves and, and, and recognizing our deficiencies and not beating ourselves up about it, but truly see them as opportunities to make ourselves better. Right. I I totally agree. You know, I I really don't even refer to the word weaknesses anymore. I talk about areas of challenge Mm -hmm. because it it takes our mind and shifts it from worry to worry. Like I can yeah. plan against the area of challenge. I can improve. It won't ever be my strength. It, it won't, but I can be better at it. And yeah. I think that's the attitude we have to take into a lot of things. I, you know, knowing that your vision is, is something that is revealed mm-hmm. is uh, frustrating and freedom. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because if we got it all at one time, it would likely be so big, we would turn around and walk away from it. Oh, yeah. Or mm-hmm. we would try to change it or change yes. the steps, not yes. understanding how everything is interconnected. So on the one hand, I like it. On the mm-hmm. other hand, it stays frustrating because even mm-hmm. when you have a, a big picture, you're like, okay, this is the vision. The steps to get there are like shrouded in fog. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, another one is revealed mm-hmm. as we mature, as we yes. strengthen, as we grow. 
grow, as we develop skills, or as we release the things we feel like we need to bring forward from our past that no longer serve us well. Yes. And, you know, it's um, it's so important to just, again, have that um, appreciation. I call them opportunities for improvement. You call them areas of challenge. And, and recognize that, you know, and you, you alluded to this early on about, you know, how you talk, how we talk to ourselves and the language that we use and, and being intentional in, in what we do. And I think a lot of times we give up our CEO authority mm-hmm. and we start acting like the receptionist instead of the CEO. <laughs> you know, we're allowing life to happen to us. Right. But it's when we embrace those opportunities for improvement, when we embrace those challenges and we decide to, again, make decisions, make choices that line up with where we want to go and and be courageous enough in many instances to say, no, I'm not going to do that. No, this is not for me. This is, you know, it, it's it's hard a lot of times to buck the system and do what you know is right rather than doing what everyone else expects of you. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I talk about in the book, how so many of us are still living up or down to expectations that were put on us as children. And in some ways guides or or provides the guardrails for our life. We don't go too far left. We don't go too far right because we're still going down that lane of, of expectation. And we never really stop and ask ourselves what we want for ourselves, even as adults. And and that's part of the reason that I wrote the book is because Mm -hmm. I wanted to liberate us from our past, from Mm -hmm. those expectations that other people put on us that are not even in line with our divine design Mm -hmm. uh, so that we could see the possibilities of our life, Mm -hmm. the things Mm -hmm. that we could do, the things that we will achieve, the things that are possible. But it's only when you let go of some of what was that you focus on what will be. Right. And I love how you talk about your decision to move from Dallas to New York. You know, you lived in Dallas all these years. I think that's where a lot of your family is. And you had this life. You were comfortable. You had this home. And then you just decide. um, Well, it wasn't a decision. You were guided. But to others, it's like, well, she just going up and move to, to New York. Yeah. And you didn't necessarily have anybody there. You know, it's just a decision. This is where. I need to be. And I love how you described how oftentimes we won't do things for ourselves because of others' expectations. And I love this line and I'm, I'm going to read it. Um, you know, oh, this was just like gut punch number like 55. Like <laughs> so we will follow a man around the world, but will not move around the corner for ourselves. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, and because, you know, people were questioning you, like, you going to New York? Why? Do you have a boyfriend there? You got to be going for a man. You know, you, no woman in her right mind would just go up and move with that, you know. But, you know, a lot of times we will make big decisions for other people, but we won't make those big decisions for ourselves. Yeah. It's the craziest thing. I I meet people all the time that say, I wish I could do this. And I'm like, you can go do it. And they're like, no, no, I can't do it. I'm like, why not? I don't know. It just feels weird. I'm like, you can do it. You know, conscious choices will change our lives. When we are fully present in our lives and we understand our strengths, skills, um, our honest desires and what we're willing to do, we can find our space for greatness. But so Mm -hmm. many of us are afraid to pursue our greatness, to listen to the whispers of the spirit and to move, to act. But nothing happens in life without action. I mean, eventually when you hear, when you're still, because to be still is actually an action. Like it feels like nothing, but to to decide to be still is an action. And so all the time you're making these choices and um, unfortunately, we are more motivated to act for other people than we are for ourselves. Yeah. And as a result, so many of us are stuck in these spaces that are too small for our spirit. Yes. And, you know, and I thought about, you know, just this whole concept of that you talked about, you know, how leaps of faith um, can often have a hard landing. And kind of <laughs> my, my takeaway from that discussion is, you know, leaps of faith can have a hard landing, but you need to jump anyway. Yeah. 
I remember making the decision, you know, after my divorce was final, because we moved from a community that, uh, you know, we had been for 11 years. I was very entrenched, very established. All my friends were there, loved the place, a new place for his job. Mm-hmm. And it was a place I didn't want to go. Um, <laughs> And want to be there. I don't, you know, the, the only reason I went was for a maid. <laughs> the father would not have gone there. And now that the marriage was no more, I'm like, well, I really don't want to be here. And, you know, making the decision to move to Atlanta. And, you know, I, I it, the, the easy choice and the easy choice and be, probably best choice for everybody else, for my, my children included, because, you know, we still have um, teenage boys, but one's a freshman in college now, but at the time they were both in high school and all of this. And, and, you know, and I was really torn. I needed to get out of there. <laughs> you know, it was working on my psyche and I was just not going to make it. I mean, it just, it just wasn't a good place yeah. for me, but it was the best decision for everybody else. And I tell you, one of the hardest things was making a decision to do what was best for me. That was also the best for my children because had I stayed there I don't think it would have been a good situation for them because I was mentally deteriorating you know and so it's 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 so important for us to put ourselves first and recognize that when we put ourselves first that a lot of times we are doing what's best for others because I, I used to always, I taught this class and, and talked about, you know, you have to put your own oxygen mask on first. And one of the things I would say is that you, you are no good to anybody dead. I mean, they may get your life insurance policy, but, you know, you can't serve the people you want to serve if you are stressed out, crazy, dead or whatever. Right. And so loving yourself is putting yourself first and recognizing that that's not selfish. That yeah. is smart. Yes, that's right. It's necessary self-care. You know what's funny, Stephanie? I love the oxygen mask analogy, but it finally hit me a few weeks ago. 99% of people are never going to see that oxygen mask fall. So it is super easy to say that because we know it doesn't happen. But in real life, to actually put your oxygen mask on first, nobody is willing to do it. Not And so as as a result, many of us are are living but we're alive but we're not really living oh gosh yeah a part of our life has died because anytime Mm -hmm. that you are not growing you die Mm -hmm. Um, what we don't like is that growth is not comfortable and it rarely happens in groups oh god yeah you know that uncomfortable feeling that angst that trepidation that Mm -hmm. fear of moving outside of your comfort zone is all a part of growth we make it some unnatural thing like growth Mm -hmm. is supposed to be comfortable but it never it it literally never is yeah yeah and you know and i think about you know how difficult it is for us to grow because of our attachment to our environment you know because it is hard when you literally go change seasons and everybody you love is in the old season, so to speak, you know, literally in your old space. Yeah. And again, when you don't let go, you begin, you begin to be that interloper, you know, in your own life. And, you know, we have to recognize that. And, and we're talking about relationships. And I think relationships often keep us back as much as they push us forward. Yeah. When we are not committed to ourselves enough to commit to healthy relationships and to recognize that even some healthy relationships evolve, transform, they break, but they're not severed. You know, they become untied, but they're not severed. And, and, and I mean, what I mean by that is just as you grow, your circle grows. It, it yeah. often contracts, actually, but you can't expect to be have your next level life with people who are not at the next level with you. And that's not a a derogatory statement. It's not looking at anybody pejoratively, but just recognizing that you outgrow people in circles, just like you outgrow clothes and views and situations. And people outgrow you too. I mean, (laughs) my last newsletter last week said, whatever the weather is your season. And Uh and I talk about that. I think because we really like summertime, we want it Mm -hmm. to be summer. 
365 days a year because that's when it's sunny and everything is in bloom and it's just mm -hmm. so beautiful and we love it. And then when the fall comes and it's time to shed things and shed people and release ourselves from the things that are weighing us down. Mm -hmm. We're like, oh my God, I'm losing everything. It's dying. I'm dying. What am I doing? Because everything's falling apart and you feel like you're losing all the things that you just enjoy. Yeah. And then in winter, we, go, we get depressed because yeah. it all looks dead because we don't realize everything is happening beneath the surface. Yeah. So, you know, we get on this crazy cycle where fall start, we go into a panic, winter seasons in our life depress us. And it's only when we get to spring that we start to see hope, but then we want to pull things really quickly. It's not yeah. really ready. That first bud out, we ready to tell everybody. It's like, yeah. Just bud, yeah. it's not time to be in full radiance. Yeah. So I, yeah. I think we have to look at everything in life as four seasons. Right. And, and you know, all four. Right. And one of the things I love, um, and it just came up in a random conversation a couple of years ago, and this is an anonymous quote, and it's it's um it talks about the fall and winter, and it's and it goes something to the effect of the trees are about to show us how lovely it is to let dead things go. Oh, wow. And, oh, yeah, I love that statement because, you know, I was sitting out on my back porch today and it happened to be a very beautiful day. It's not too cold. Sun was out and there's still some green out, but I've got dead stuff around and, you know, just but it was beautiful just looking out. I have a creek that runs behind my my house and, and it's, it's just beautiful to look over that and just to think about how the seasons are changing and how even though we're getting ready to go into a point where the trees won't have um, leaves on them and and it's going to be cold and dreary sometimes that there's always spring and then will come summer. And, and, you know, that's something that we have to focus on is that in order to get to spring, you can't get to spring if you don't go through winter, you yeah. know. And um, and and you have to embrace that and recognize that that's not a bad thing. That's just part of the process. Yeah. And each season is beautiful. I mean, there is beauty. We just had the first snow in New York, and it was so awesome. It was so pretty. Um, but you know, I love the spring too when the flowers are blooming. I you know, I tell tell women we have to learn to fall in love with ourselves in every season of life. And every time I see nature transition, I think about the seasons of a woman's life and even the seasons in our career, you know, how, how we matriculate through our career. And then we love the thing that we used to do. But a lot of times as we get to the middle of our careers or, or the second season of our life, you know, we don't, we don't enjoy it as much as we did when we were 25, 30, 35. We, we miss what we were doing then instead of embracing where we are right now. Right. Right. Well, of course, as always, you know, this conversation has been great. We're getting <laughs> getting to the end of the hour. And I knew this would be a powerful conversation. I knew we would have so much to talk about. And I just wanted to end because I know that you I want to one remind everybody to get this book. But I know you have a new book that's coming out. So I do want you to share that. But I just want to uh, just kind of end uh, with this this one quote um, from your book. And it's, and it's so beautiful as it relates to loving yourself, anything you're doing. That true courage is not the absence of fear. It is the will to do it in the midst of your doubt. And I just thought that was so powerful in that a lot of us need to embrace the fact that just because we get afraid, or just because we're fearful, it's just part of the process. Yeah. But most of us who are achieving great things, most of the people who are, are achieving, have achieved great things, have done so afraid. And yeah. we need to embrace that and have the courage to do a skirt. Yeah. <laughs> do a skirt. Absolutely. I mean, everybody, I think that you respect and admire in life has challenges. They mm -hmm. have you know, personal fears. They have times they are, uh, they doubt their own abilities, but they continue to move forward anyway. What I remind women is that leaders master learning. And if you master the art of learning, then you never have to feel like you're lacking because if you don't know it, you can learn it. You can right. always be better and always be improving. And that's, that's really the joy of, of growing throughout life and learning to be the CEO of you is that mm -hmm. I can decide who I am, I get to choose and define me for me. And then I get to make conscious choices to support that. 
That is so correct. And that's what being a CEO is all about. Yeah. Making powerful choices, being the decision maker in your own life. So, of course, like I say, we've gotten to the end of the hour and we could keep on going, but <laughs> we do uh, need to transition out of the show. So I want you to tell our audience, you know, first of all, how they can get this book yeah. and introduce your new book and tell us how we can get that, because I know it's going to be just as powerful as this one. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. This has been super fun. I have loved catching up. Um, the first book, Loving on Me, is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can you can order it just about anywhere. And it's really about personal transformation. They're all written to career women, busy women who get things done. The second book is called Be Bold, Be Brilliant, Be You. It comes out in just a few weeks. It'll be on Amazon. And it's really about career elevation. So mm -hmm. I start with personal transformation, leading from the inside out, and then go to career elevation to help women understand what it takes to create a life and career that is rewarding and fulfilling. Well, that is truly what it's all about. That's what that's what uh, living your C-suite life is all about. And that is using your choices to create the life you desire and deserve. So y'all heard it. You can go on Amazon now and get Loving on You. And in a few weeks, you can loving get- Loving on me. I mean, why do I keep saying that? Because I'm talking to people. So it's like, I read. the book is called Loving on Me. I do want you to love on you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I did that earlier. The book is called Loving on Me. All right. So go to Amazon and get that. And in a few weeks, you'll be able to get her new book, Be Bold, Be Brilliant, Be You. That yes. Right? Look at yes, it. <laughs> I did it. Well, awesome. Awesome. Well, Katrina, thank you so much. It's been so awesome to reconnect. I'm looking forward to when we can truly sit down over a glass of wine and really connect. This has been great. And every time we get together, um, and I'm always inspired, uplifted. I learn so much. And so I'm grateful for you. Grateful that that we've gotten a chance to know each other. And uh, thank you so much for sharing with everyone how we can love on me, <laughs> love on me, how we can truly embrace self-love to improve our relationships because yeah. when we love ourselves, we can love others. So thank you so much. And I'm grateful that you've been with us here in the C-suite. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. <laughs> awesome. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. Well, I just want to thank everyone for joining me here in the C-suite. I told y'all this would be a powerful conversation. I told you we'd have a great time. When I tell you I had been looking forward to this all day, I really, truly was. So, But I just want to thank you so much for joining me here in the C-suite. And of course, tonight's episode was brought to you by Deciding on Joy, the self-help book that helps women to overcome breakups to break through to the life they truly desire and deserve. So you can get your autographed copy at decidingonyou.com. That's decidingonyou.com. And it is also available on Amazon because whether you've experienced any type of breakup, whether it's a divorce, the loss of a loved one, or just when things didn't go as planned, you can decide on joy to get to the joy you desire and deserve. So I just want to thank all of you for joining me here in Conversations from the C-Suite. It is my pleasure to be your host and I look forward to connecting with you next time. So you know it's all about your CEO moves. We want you to feel something, learn something, but most of all, we want you to do something. So make sure that you truly make those CEO moves that you create your circles of influence, improve your relationships, educate and empower yourself for elevation and operationalize what you learn so that you can operationalize your outcome. Because whether you report to a CEO or you are the CEO of your business, you are always the CEO of you. So make sure that you are always committed to making those CEO moves. So remember, the power is not in the conversation, but in the CEO moves that you make. So don't just talk about it, be about it, but don't wait. Remember, wait broke the scale. So I am your host, Dr. Stephanie D. Barnes. It has been my pleasure to have you here in the C-suite 
where it is the girlfriend's guide to being a CEO. We want you to tune in for the next episode. And remember, you can go to csweetwomen.tv, that's csweetwomen.tv, to catch previous episodes so that you can catch up on or re-listen to other previous episodes and really have the conversation to continue. So until next time, remember your life is the product of your choices. Choose to be the CEO of you. I'll see you next time in the C-Suites.